radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Okay. To center, his pass for Pacioretty. Knocked down. Under 10 seconds to go, but here they come again. Andre Pollock holds up. Victor Hedman walks in. Passes. Johnson with no time on the clock. They'll have to review to make sure, but it looked like the puck was in before the green light came on and there was time. Thursday, September 17th, for a girl I know, it's Mother's Day, I am James Cole. Well, yeah, now now it sucks because I didn't use Fiddler's Green as as an intro, and it's too late at night for me to go back and do that, so. I could just sing it. Ah, wow. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll just see for next week's episode if people (laughs) wish that we had done that, and we can just edit it back in. I'll find a way. Uh, I'm Brutes Bataglia from the north side. I'll bring my guitar. This season is officially uh, over a year long. How fucked is that? Season of this pod, season two of Laced Up a Hockey Podcast is now going into itself, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's now it's now circled back around Podception, and now it's yeah, like it's yeah, I guess. Well, no. It's more like Interstellar, where it's just like different dimensions kind of thing aligning. Does that make sense? I like, guess that's not really what happens like in layers Interstellar. In Considering I watched Interstellar the other day, I should have a better understanding of what the movie is. Cakes but have layers. Cakes do have. Well, it depends on the cake, my guy. Some some of them don't. Huh. Some people really don't know how to make a cake. Neither do I. Tempe Lightning, the New York Islanders, and the uh, Dallas Stars... Uh, all were participating in training camp this time last year. So, mm. yeah, yeah, that's where we're at. That's right. That's right. So, what's going on? What's new with you? Anything? Nah. Uh, no. no. Same season, Never. same Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Is this, so, wait, so, so, is this so, season three? So here's... So here's I don't like. I guess How we could that? just. Well, no. I want to. I want a break for sure. So we gotta. We gotta keep calling it season two. Is Mitchell gonna give us a break though? I don't know. I really don't know, James. We're gonna like finish the season. It'll be like free agency. And yeah, then, like and that's then, exactly and then, like, it. The world juniors will start. So, oh my god, we're gonna have like we're gonna get like three weeks off, aren't we? And do we even want it off? Because like here's the thing too is like I enjoyed not doing the podcast last year during the summer, but ain't the summer anymore, you know? You know what I'm learning about myself is I'm I'm going to be way more involved. In the Patriots season this year, because, and it's not a good thing, because they're not going to be great, but because this is the first year since I started, like, when I really started watching football in 2013, um, like, this is the first season the Patriots are playing where, like, none of my other teams are playing. 
Like I like I've had seasons of the Patriots okay. before yeah. where I've had four of my teams overlapping in October and it's like I can't I don't have time for New England. You know what I mean? On that one Sunday where they all overlap, it's literally just like one day a year. But Yeah, I was gonna say Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's still though, like the Raptors start, the Leafs are starting, the Sox end somewhere within the same month usually. And then it's just like, as soon as the socks are out, it's like, well, the fucking Leafs are playing. So, like, you know, I don't need to care about the Patriots all the time. So I'll, like, kind of watch. But I'm not, like, thinking about them when I'm not watching the games. You know what I mean? I watch the games, but I don't really think about them that much. I'm thinking about them a lot. Really excited for Sunday. They're going to get mauled. But I'm going to watch them. <laughs> I'm, it's just kind of dawning on me now. And I realize that we've known yeah. about the break in play. Sure. Due to COVID for like six months now. Mm-hmm. But it's just dawning on me now for the first time that um, I'm not going to have much to do once hockey ends. Because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <clears throat> I don't watch football. Basketball will be done. Basketball is done. Baseball will be... If baseball makes it to the playoffs, baseball's playoffs will be done soon. But like normally like the summer is like a nice break because there's things to do in the summer. Like I sure. can go and, but like it's going to be cold... Sure. I'm not going to want to leave the house, but there's no sports to watch. Yeah. I, that's how I started liking football, man. It's huh. a slippery slope, i got to tell you. I'm not saying you're going to, but that's how it happened for me. Like, I always liked it, but I didn't pay attention to it. They're doing college basketball this year? Is that a thing? Ooh, buddy. Be doing, uh, well, they can prep up for March our, Madness. Are colleges open? College football's playing. I know that. Yeah, I don't get how that yeah, works either. No. I've completely checked out from, from that. I don't even want to know how that works. I don't want to know. The less I know about what's going on in the States, the only real things I know about what's going on in the States is like, uh, is like what goes on in the Orlando bubble for the NBA and the NFL. And like when Trump says something stupid, like that's really all I know about what's going on South of the border. I try not to pay attention. That's fair. I've, I've listened to South of the border by Dean Martin more times in the last week than I think I've read American news. What about down Mexico way? Well, same song. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Feel free to edit that one out. Uh, Well, whatever. Honestly, that might not even be by Dean Martin. I'm going to double check that. But, uh, well, he does sing a version of it, so I'm I'm not too far off anyway. That's great. There's a Willie Nelson version. Hmm. Hmm. Um, South of the board. Big, big, big news week here. Um. Oh yeah, what are you gonna take some time off? I guess. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, big news this week. I saw Tenet. No, I actually didn't. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I don't get that joke. I've, I've seen people making that joke about like they've seen Tenet. Oh, I, I, I was just making a joke, like as if uh, I, I don't know. Is that a thing on the internet? I was I've just making a joke, like, like in reference to like that's our big news this week. Oh, not hockey. That was just a okay. me joke. I don't know. There's a joke about seeing Tenet. Yeah, I guess because like wasn't it delayed or something? Well, yeah. Yeah. So there's a bunch of people that were saying, like, oh, I went to go see Tenet this weekend. And it was mm-hmm. like, I was like, oh, freaking out. And it's like, well, no, I didn't because it didn't actually come out when it was supposed to. Oh, well, maybe it's an old joke because Tenet is in theaters right now. But Okay. Yeah. Because it was, like, a thing about how, uh, like, this is the most, like, anticipated Christopher Nolan movie other than the Batmans since Inception. And so... Uh, the the belief was this movie was probably going to make over a billion dollars at the box office under normal circumstances, and they made I think 
15 million on opening weekend because no one's going to the theaters because theaters aren't even fucking open in a lot of places. So they didn't make a lot of money. Uh, not for a lack of like the movie being not for the movie being bad. It's yeah. just like no one can go see it. So that's a shame because they spent a lot of money making it. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe theaters are open right now. It's weird, eh? It's kind of weird. Like if someone asked me to go if I wanted to see Tenet. By the way, Tenet's made a lot more money since then. But um, someone asked me to go see Tenet, and I'm like, I don't even know if I want to do that. Like, you know what I mean? There hasn't been a COVID case here in like a month or something like that. At least at the time that I was asked, and I, uh, I, I don't know. It just seems weird. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of things that uh, shouldn't be open, mm-hmm. uh, the NHL trade market's been heating up the last couple, uh, well, mm-hmm. last couple weeks because we took last week off, so mm-hmm. last week and and this week, um, a couple moves by the uh, Minnesota Wild, mm-hmm. the Wild mixing things up here, uh, bringing in Nick Bukestad. Um, from Pittsburgh? Probably should have had that uh, yes. up already. Yeah, no, Pittsburgh. Can't spell Bukestad, so I That's didn't fine. have it ready to go there. Um, There's just a J in there. Yeah. Well, it's just Bugstad. It'll get you. Uh, traded, uh, it's not even updated on his fucking page here. That's great. Okay. I don't know what the trade is. That's that's hilarious. Oh, uh, for a conditional seventh round pick. For Nick Bukestad. I can see right, why folks. they didn't update it. That's right, folks. Um... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to spend too long on Nick Bukestad by any means, but uh, no, like I not bad. Well, for a seventh. Well, it's just like it was the funniest thing was the reaction where it was just like people being like, "This might be the least that a team has ever given up in a trade and still found a way to lose the trade." Because like it was just like Minnesota had all this cap space and you know what I mean. Like could have done something with it this off season, and they traded it for like a. A, a very average bottom six center at this stage of his career that that has like is healthy enough that he's made out of glass. So you know what I mean. Like this was it was just like a weird like you could have spent any amount of money in free agency on probably something better than this, or even just given up a better pick and gotten something useful. Yeah, and it was just like they kind of they kind of just spent a conditional pick to lose cap space. Like it was just kind of a weird sort of reaction and and I agree with that like I don't I don't really consider Nick Bukestad to be a top six player in any role and so the problem is is that the Minnesota Wild as we're going to get to now are probably going to have to play him in that role because of other moves they made and it's like I just I don't even think when he was good in Florida that he was ever really like a bona fide top six forward like I just I don't know yeah uh, you know, bring bring in the hometown kid, right? You'll sell some tickets that way, kind of thing. But I don't, I don't know. To who? Like, you gotta remember, like they're they're getting him at half the cap hit, so that's fine. Like they're not spending four point one on the guy. They're you know if if they're paying him to be a third line centerman, he's making third line centerman money. So I, I think that, that that well, let's get the cat out of the bay here. They, they, they moved on from Eric Stahl today as well. Eric Stahl going to the Buffalo Sabres in return mm. for Marcus Johansson. So so Stahl is out. Bukestad and Johansson are both in. Um, I, I, I don't know. To me, this is this is the Minnesota Wild hand of the, hand of the reins over to the very few kids that they have on the uh, on the depth chart and, and just going to see what they can do. Um, you know, see what those guys have. The, you know, Kaprizov and... Um, 
the rest of the team is once again. Well, I I agree mind, with but... I agree with you there, but the problem is is just the the idea of trading stall makes sense if you have another plan. And the their plan is to play Marcus Johansson, who by all accounts uh, has never played center until last year, and then played center last year and was fucking awful at it, granted, on a bad team. but um, And now they traded for him, and they're like, you know what, uh, we're going to give him another shot at center. And it's like, well... Like, you, you couldn't have got, like, a prospect or anything for Stahl? Like, really? Like, you couldn't have? Because to me, it's more useful to just keep Stahl and play him in that role so that way you have someone to, like, you know, maybe get eaten alive a little bit some nights by some of the better teams. You got that leadership. And now it's something that I think a younger team could use that now all of a sudden they don't have because allegedly they're moving on from Miko Koivu. Hmm. Now they've moved on from Stahl. And I take a look at their forward group, and outside of Parise and sort of Zuccarello, like, there's nobody that I look at on that forward group, and that gives me a lot of confidence. Fiala's a good player, but, you know, like, he, he's another guy. He's going to draw all of the all of the big matchups next year, and a big center that has that sort of experience, like Stahl. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, the locker room's broken or something because of a fucking trade like that. Like, who cares? Like, if you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not like Stahl's unbelievable. But they don't have anyone even close to that in, on their roster now anymore. Like, they like Victor Rask is their highest-earning center other than Johansson, if you count him. And he makes $4 million and, by all accounts, is, you know, shouldn't be in a top six. And then it's Bukestad, who, when he's healthy, is an okay third-line center at best. So it's Joel Erickson Eck and and a bunch of guys who are just left to figure it out. And even Erickson Eck is like a really good third line center. Like really good, but I don't think should ever be playing in a top six center role. Really good third line center. He's Sammy Paulson, modern day. It's all he is, right? Yeah, I, I could see him being a, a, a second line guy. Um, Minnesota's tough. I find this really tough to evaluate guys. Um, in terms of you know, their their top six potential, just because like the whole team seems to be like a, a for like the longest time they've just been this roster of like third line guys, like the whole like all twelve okay. forwards is just like like even their fourth line like they have like an amazing fourth line, just like, like twelve anti laxins. Yeah, so like <laughs> because of that, it's it's kind of hard to judge. Like if if Eric's neck was you know playing somewhere like if it was in in New York. Would he be a top six guy? Well, he, he might be because of the way the Rangers maybe would have molded him. I think the Wild have kind of molded him. I think, I think your example is... I think your uh, argument is right. I think Eriksson Ek is probably not a good example. But I, I your point is taken anyway. Okay. Because Eriksson Ek's never, like, not even as a prospect, been regarded as, like, an offensively talented kid or anything like that. But... Yeah, for sure. No, yeah. Like, but I get, I get your yeah. argument where they're just, like, a yeah. team that kind of, you know... More of a system team at points right. because they like, don't like have Miko, that firepower. Miko, Miko Koivu was a second line center at his, at his height, but was never a big offensive numbers kind of guy. Like that's no. kind of what I, I compare. Like, that's fine. Eric Snek could be he could that, be a second line guy that just doesn't score. But well, I'm, but that's the thing. Going back to it is how much did they fucking win with Miko Koivu sure. being that style of exactly. second line singer? Yeah. How many teams yeah. can you think of that have? And it's like it's a short list, right? No, like the, the Islanders, whatever. Like if if you think the Islanders are actually. Uh, what they are, 
and you know what I mean, are not a product of Barry Trotz and would actually, like, all these players would be doing this on any other roster. Like, sure, sure. Okay, that's fine if that's what you believe, but, like, they might be the one team that has had success that's just a non-talented roster in the last, like, five, ten years, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. But give them a shot, right? Like, you, you, like we look at... Well, they're going to have to, but yeah. I, I'm just saying, like, going back to the trade, is just, like, this was a move that they made that... Unless Johansson... Like, Johansson has to be what they think he is. Like, this is a move they made for Marcus Johansson. This this can't have anything to do with Eric Stahl. Because it makes no sense when you consider asset for asset. Just bare bones what we know. There has to be numbers that we don't see about Johansson that they just... They just buy. There needs to be some level of eye test that all of us are missing or something like that. Like, there has to be something here. Because other than that... Like... I, I, I feel like they could have got something else for Eric Stahl, you know? And even at its worst, like, I, I would rather them just buy out Eric Stahl. Like, I just, I think Marcus Johansson is a negative asset on their in their lineup. I think he's bad. So, especially at center. So, I don't really know that I love the trade specifically for them. I, I think it's great for Buffalo. It makes a lot of sense. He, he really never got a chance, Eric Stahl, t- to play with Jeff Skinner in Carolina. So maybe you bring him there and it's a guy that Skinner knows and he's comfortable with and maybe that helps him. You know, you got the Thunder Bay boys, Hutton and Stahl, they're going to be talking about fucking Nucci's and, uh, you know, the Persian man and uh, Maltese the, and everything the there. Too. The GM connection, yeah, of course. Yeah. Kevin Adams giving, giving his old buddy more money. And then, yeah, I mean, like, it 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 makes sense for Buffalo. Like, I think it's a good move. Because if I'm Buffalo, I would have been buying out Marcus Johansson. So it's like, okay, like we'll take our chances with Eric Stahl. So yeah, it's like I don't, I don't know. Like you're right. Like, end of the day, I think Buffalo improves here for sure. Um, in, like you're right. Like if if, if Minnesota's got some sort of inside information on on Johansson. Sure, I, I I look at it and I don't wonder if okay we got the younger guy now by a, by a few years four or five years younger than Stahl is, and maybe Minnesota is telling themselves that it would be easier to flip him mid season than Stahl, which I don't really buy. But I, I maybe there's some logic there if you know if if Johansson comes flying out of the gates because he's a little younger and he's you know had a little bit more time off or. I I don't know like like you're you're exactly right in the sense that there's got to be something behind the scenes that we don't know about. But that's that's just the funny thing, right? Like that's the that's the only and I'm not saying like people are wrong, but it's just like the only thing I heard all fucking day about why this makes sense for Minnesota is like, well, he's younger, and it's like, yeah, but Eric Stahl's better at 36 or whatever the fuck than Johansson was when he was 25, probably. Like, never mind 29 now. Like Johansson's been kind of washed since like 2017 ish. So, and he's just continually declining. I just, I don't get it. Like, I think it's just such a bizarre move. It's yeah. it's very weird. Yeah, weird for sure. I'm, I'm not too sure what to make sure. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> not too sure what to make of uh, the Minnesota Wild uh, in either of these deals. No, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, not, I think I'm it's not. weird. But, 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 but the, it's just to me, and I'm not, I'm definitely not saying this is what's happening, but... The way I felt about these two trades was the same way I felt when Paul Fenton was making moves. It was just like, okay, like, 
whatever. Like, but why? Like, it's just, these don't make yeah. any sense. Like, and I'm not saying Bill Guerin is the same thing as Paul Fenton because Bill Guerin actually has made some moves where I was like, oh yeah, shit, right on. But you remember how Paul Fenton was kind of like a, he made one decent move and then he would make like three head scratchers. Bill Guerin's like a make one decent move, make one weird move. Yeah. Sure. You know what I mean? Like he's, he feels like Mark Bergevin to me, kind of. Speaking of Mark Bergevin. The, the Buke said thing I don't want to read too much into because, you know, it's a seventh round pick. Might be eh, whatever. You're taking a risk on a guy. It's just a weird way to spend roll, that money. Roll the dice. You get him, you get him at half, half the cost. So, um, that's, that's fine if you're trying to help bolster your team. It's a local guy. It's it's going to be a popular move. It's but just like turn around and and make that trade a week later with with Stall. Sure, they've just they've wasted so much money on depth that I find is just weird. Like weird depth though. Like like it's not like Vancouver where it's like okay, like Antoine Roussel might serve a purpose in a playoff series, and then he did. It's just like Marcus Johansson is like okay, like fine, but four and a half million. Victor Rask, four million probably might might not even be an NHL player. Uh, you got Marcus Foligno at 2.875, like again, weird, Bukestad just over 2, Hartman just under 2, uh, you know, freaking uh, Greg Patteron over 2 million, like it's just like, who are these guys? Like, they're paying just such weird money to weird guys, I don't know, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Just realize that that conditional 7th is for next draft, not, uh, not even better. draft, that's even better. weird. Yep. All right, let's move this along. Reaping uh, the rewards. Uh, I'm going to butcher this last name. Joel uh, Edmondson is y- the name. Yannick oh. Duplessis. Oh, are we not? We're not doing uh, Edmondson. Uh, he's much deeper in my uh, my breakdown here, but we can oh, okay. Well, if you yeah, want. no, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, start. Start. Say his name again. Start that again because I don't want to butcher that intro because this is an important topic. So. Um, okay, yeah, so I'm I'm going to get this name probably wrong and, uh, as I, I try this, but uh, Yannick Duplessis? Du- du- Duplessis. Duplessis? Yeah. Okay. I'm taking French. Mm-hmm. Um, I only know that because uh, I went to school with a Duplessis, so. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, good, good for you. Nice guy? Great. Yeah. Um, you know him. I uh, can't. Oh. I can't mention it on the podcast because I'll have to bleep it out. But oh, those are always fun. Yeah. Um, Yannick Duplessis uh, announced uh, that he was uh, coming out uh, as a uh, gay athlete uh, this past week. Um, the team he plays for is escaping me. I want to say it's Royanda Huskies in the QMJHL. Wow, that was. Uh... That was an interesting way to say that. Uh, but he also plays for the Moncton Flyers, Monk- would be the team we were looking Moncton for. Flyers. Yeah, were you were you trying to say Ruen Naranda? Yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was close enough, I guess. You, you got it. You, you yeah. nailed it. Well, you don't live in Quebec for a reason, nope. I guess. It's, uh, it's not, not up to you to say these things. You know, you just have a podcast. But yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a powerful move. Um, it's awesome. It, it's really cool. It's a brave move. It's it's yeah. something that we've seen um, very few people do in the past, and it, it is for all in, intent and purposes um, not worked out in in terms of a, a career move, which is an unfortunate way of saying that uh, gay athletes have been uh, shamed uh, when they do come out um, prior to making it big, and and those that. Uh, realize that uh, have have resulted in, in certain players hiding that and, and keeping that to themselves as they try to pursue a career in, in the hopes that they can uh, can 
further their own, you know, interest in hockey. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, like this, this, this is amazing. A 17 year old kid to do something like this is, um, incredibly, incredibly brave. Um, and, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't wish anything but the more than the best for this, this guy as he continues to, to climb and, and, and fight for, uh, for, uh, his position in, in, in high in the game of hockey, uh, and, and, and whatever his, his career may, may take him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I should mention too, I, cause I confused his, his band, his like, uh, minor team with his QMJHL team. Uh, which would be the Drummondville Voltageur, as ah, uh, what we were Voltageur. looking for. But yeah, I think, like honestly, like I mean, you know, it doesn't need to be said that it's obviously a um, super courageous thing that he's done. I think the most impressive part about it, and I'm sure everyone realizes this, but uh, is just the fact that you know it's it's um, like just one of the craziest things is like this is one of the biggest named athletes we've had in the sport of hockey come out as openly gay while they're playing and this kid is a qmjhl draft pick yeah is by no accounts an nhl future prospect either right this is just a guy who's probably going to play major junior and you know as of right now there's not a lot of nhl uh aspirations or so well there is on his end but there isn't a lot of you know scouts looking at this kid is all i'm saying um as like a potential nhl option at this stage of his career so like to me I understand, you know, we have a long way to go, but it is just sort of nuts to think that, like, during their playing career, like, this is one of the biggest uh, examples we've had, if not the biggest, in the sport of hockey of someone saying that they're an openly gay athlete. Like, that's just kind of nuts, right? At least on the men's side. So, um, it's super courageous for him because it's a 17-year-old kid. It's something that he uh, didn't need to, to do, but it's also, like, why wouldn't you right like it's he even said to himself that it's it's not a it's not a big deal it shouldn't be a big deal right Right. and and that's ultimately why you know it's a big deal when you think about it the way that i presented it but at the end of the day what the hell difference does it make you know what i mean he's just an he's just another guy on the roster he's just another teammate of yours he's just another you know what i mean opponent like it, it doesn't make a difference what the hell who the hell cares so um i think it's it's a massive step forward, though, because um, other kids that are his age playing major junior and playing any anywhere else shouldn't be uh, ashamed to be who they are and shouldn't be ashamed to make this public knowledge and anything like that because it's not, at the end of the day, it shouldn't affect anything that goes on on the hockey side of it. It's completely separate and it's not a big issue. Um but yeah, it's it's obviously super courageous. He was met with a ton of support for the most part. Uh, obviously, hockey Twitter has its ugly side, and you know we saw today that uh, the, the um, uh, demographics of hockey fan is uh, you know kind of what we thought it was. Is there there was that study about all the you know the lack of diversity? I guess I would say amongst uh, fan bases and things like that. So. You know, hockey's got a long way to go in making itself appealing to all communities and everything like that. But this helps um, on that side of the of the equation, and um, it's a big move. And I, I commend him for it because um, it puts himself out there at a pretty young age. And um, yeah, it's 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 big in that sense. 
it is uh, not not a story you hear a lot about. Obviously, like we've, I don't think we've ever covered a, an athlete coming out on on the podcast, uh, despite how young uh, we are. Uh, just just isn't something that you hear about very often. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully, this inspires others to do the same and uh, can help uh, end that uh, that sort of uh, uh, you know unfortunate uh, misconceptions about. Uh, uh, athletes and and obviously we've seen the ugly side like you mentioned and I think things are moving in the right direction in a sense right like you know he he came out and said that uh, that Brock McGillis was part of the reason why that he wanted to 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 do this and you think about Brock McGillis how hard he's been working for like three or four years to try to you know what I mean start this conversation and yeah and it's even just to think about like a year ago I didn't know who Brock McGillis was. And you know what I mean? Now we've got him inspiring other like athletes to come out and, and do this. Like things are clearly the conversation's clearly moving forward. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of close minded people out there that um, share their opinion that really aren't entitled to one. Um, but this is a step in the right direction for sure. It it it, it was just that whole backstory kind of gave me uh, gave me some hope too. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to keep an eye on uh, this young man, and, and 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 hopefully, like I said, like good things are, are coming his way, and not only in the sport of hockey, but uh, in life as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, NHL playoffs continue to uh, take place well into really? September. Yeah, not just preseason. Oh, what's going on there? Playoff hockey too. Are other teams starting their preseason camps now? I think so. While other teams are still playing. Playoffs. Yeah, um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's that. September. Uh, yeah, well, I you know um, can't get out of your rhythm. We got to have freaking uh, Nick Robertson on a line with uh, Austin Matthews and Willie Nylander, you know. So and, I'm and sure Nick that's, Abruzzi, Ezzy, or, uh, yeah, Abruzzi. That's, yeah, that's the next yeah. guy we're going to be obsessed with, I guess. Yeah. Um, there are three teams remaining. After yeah. the Dallas Stars took care of the Vegas Golden Knights. Pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah? You're not a big Dallas guy. A lot of people aren't high on Dallas. That's okay. I don't mind Dallas. I get it. I just, I was, like, they weren't the better team in that series. That's, end of the day. Like, I, I want to see the best teams win. And and this, well, this is like if, if Vancouver had won the round before. I I still like Vancouver. But they wouldn't have deserved the win in that series. And they lost. Vegas moves on. Once again, Vegas proved, like, to me anyway, they were the better team in this series, and it just didn't... Not the way the cookie crumbled, I guess you could say. I felt as that... I mean, I granted, I didn't watch the whole series, but I mean, just, like, kind of looking at the numbers and um, watching what I saw, like, that was a series where I just felt like, from the opening face-off, Vegas was the better team. And by, like, midway through game... I'll say, like, start of game four... I, I knew Vegas was toast. Like, they just, they completely got worn down in the matter of three games to the point where, like, game four, I, I couldn't really recognize them at points of the game. Mm. Like, it just, they just didn't look right. And um, I don't know how many guys on the roster were dealing with injuries. Obviously, Marcia so and Riley Smith were just invisible mm-hmm. uh, for two rounds and then Mark Stone gets hurt and he was still great in game five like he was still unreal but it's a guy who doesn't have a lot of foot speed to begin with who clearly has a lower body injury 
you know what I mean, really not moving around out there and not quite as dangerous as he was. Like, they just... Aside from Shea Theodore, toward the end of, like, Game 5, they just, they really looked done. Like, as soon as Dallas scored that first goal, I just kind of knew that that was it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't I don't necessarily agree. I I think Dallas had, uh, not only sitting here and bashing Dallas, like, a, they're, they're a good team. I think they're a little underrated for the most part, and uh, they played some good hockey. They they stuck to their guns. They, they know what they are. They know who they are. Um... I think Anton Kadobin is, you know, really, really making his GM, uh, Jim Nill, look pretty smart right about now. And uh, he had a hell of a series. Um, but I don't know. At the end of the day, like, there was never any point watching any of those five games where I, I thought Dallas was absolutely, you know, head and shoulders better than the Vegas Golden Knights. It was just, to me, it kind of came No, never to, head and shoulders, anyway. Yeah. Just not toward, never, not till the end, anyway. Never really, even even that fifth game, like, I was, I was watching that game and, 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 and Vegas looked, like just so much more powerful and poised and and ready to go and then they take a dumb penalty on a dumb rule in the NHL in overtime and all of a sudden it's in the back of the net and as soon as that penalty goes up like you mentioned it to me you know outside the podcast like we both kind of knew it's coming it's over here it is it's this is this is the game winner and um there's nothing you can do about that that's that's the way that you know the the sport goes sometimes and uh, overtime is it's going to be tight. Um, uh, obviously, Vegas had their opportunity earlier in the period on, on their own power play. It just didn't didn't go their way. So you know, whatever. Uh, I, like I said, I don't want to sit here and sound like I'm bashing the, <coughs> bashing the Dallas Stars because uh, that's not my intent. I'm just I was disappointed to see what I thought was a very strong Vegas Golden Knights team uh, go home. Yeah, I mean, like I was kind of rooting for Vegas, but I mean. I I I like Dallas too though. Like I'm I'm I kind of want to see them win. I mean, one thing about Dallas too that, um, like their power plays rolling right now, and, and that's the thing. And, and that was to me like you talk about Vegas being poised and everything like that. That was like where I kind of had the opposite take, where it was just like for two and a half rounds now, Dallas time and time again, if you give them a fucking inch, they they will kill you. Mm-hmm. They will absolutely kill you, and that's the problem. It's like they're the Islanders, but with much more skill and speed and experience and uh, talent, ability, um, you know, heart, uh, fun, speed, ability, talent, fun, speed. And so um, I. I enjoy watching Dallas much more, but they are very much a team where it's just like, that was why I made that comment to you, was just like, I knew as soon as I got that first goal, I'm like, I just don't see how Vegas weathers this storm unless they score immediately after the face-off and then play the trap. And they didn't. And then, you know, they got a chance or two, but like, it was largely Dallas the rest of the third period. And um, I just, I just had a feeling, like, even going into overtime, it's just like, I don't get how, even if they win the game, that Vegas with the way that they were playing with whoever was healthy, whoever wasn't, or whatever the fuck was going on with that second line, I just didn't see how they would get back in that series, as good as they are. Um, credit to Vegas, because uh, they would have been my cup pick. You know, I don't know. I can't remember who I picked to win the cup, but they would have been my cup pick probably at the beginning of last round. And uh, they're out. And, and 
Um, credit to Dallas because, like I said, that's that's my point. Is just they they are they're very dialed in right now. When they're given an opportunity, they're they're not missing. Hmm. Um. The other series out east, we got Tampa and the Islanders going to Game mm-hmm. Six after Jordan Emberley uh, scores an overtime goal uh, to prolong the Islanders' season. Um, this this is a series that I think after the first two games, a lot of people were looking at. All right, let's focus on the West. Let's see how that plays out because it's going to be uh, whoever wins that versus Tampa Bay. And the Islanders are putting a, putting a bit of a fight up. Here, uh, they're not going down uh, easy. Um, Semyon Varlamov has looked very good the last couple nights, and uh, he's he's keeping his team in it. Um, is this going seven, or is it just prolonging the suffering for uh, Islanders fans? Uh, well, it's prolonging the suffering. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Like it's it's the same sort of argument the other way around. Like I just I don't see how. The Islanders can beat Tampa Bay four times in seven games. Like I just don't, I don't see how they can do it. Um, because in all reality, they they haven't done it twice in in five games. Like they they did not deserve to win one of the two games that they won. And um, you know they were they were good in Game Three by all accounts, as far as I can tell, they were good. But like they 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 got slaughtered the other night, and they still won. Um, so I I don't know like I just I think Tampa's dialed in. That's another team though, and and that it like it comes back to this, and and this is what scares me about this year's playoffs. This is just like the playoffs are very much a battle of which just which teams can outlast the other ones. It's not which team is the best team. You know, we can all agree that the Dallas Stars and the fucking New York Islanders are not two of the best teams in the league, but they might be the two teams last standing because that's the style of hockey they play is they play this physical style where they come at you rather than letting you come at them physically. And so they don't get hurt quite as much because they're the aggressors physically. They're not the ones getting pounded, right? Because they don't have the puck as much. So it's just this weird thing where it's like, Tampa Bay is hurt as fuck right now. And so we're talking about who's the better team. Well, it's by and large Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is probably the second or first best team in the league. I think the Islanders might be at bottom five, but their style is helping them in this series. It's helping them in these playoffs. So, so what, but wouldn't that what mean do that I they think are a good hockey team though? Uh, like if you well, play the game in a they're, way they're that best, to win. No, but that's what I'm saying. They're they're best poised to win in the playoffs at the moment, for sure. It's a completely different animal. It's just one of those things where it's like. In the regular season, this is a team where if they went out next year and lost 55 games, I wouldn't be shocked, uh, even slightly. Because it's like a Tuesday night, you're in New Jersey, and then you don't play till Sat. Like, it's harder to get dialed in. You've been in the playoffs. It's just very much like a, you know, it's just a routine kind of thing. And when you're rolling, you're rolling, and they're rolling right now. And that's great. And, I like, you know, the whole goal is to win the Stanley Cup. It's not to win the fucking regular season. So if you're good in the playoffs, fucking good for you. Mm-hmm. But, um... All I'm saying is that if injuries weren't accounted for, I think Tampa Bay would have swept or won this series in five. But they don't have Stamkos. They kind of don't have point. Something's wrong with Kucherov. They're not right right now. The Islanders, by all accounts, look pretty much healthy. It's hard to tell when they're not because a lot of their players aren't very good. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. So I think Tampa Bay is still going to win. 
but the Islanders are are playing their game. So uh, you mentioned injuries. Uh, Steven Stamkos obviously uh, has not played at any point during the playoffs uh, to date. He was skating uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, encouraging sign. Looks like Willie um, Nylander as he looks to make his return. Um, I, I I personally I, I don't see him playing um, in this series. I, I think this is him hopefully coming back for maybe game three or four in the finals. Uh, but I, I just like, have you seen anything that's in, indicating that he's he's maybe closer than we think? I don't know. I mean, like, what like what the hell's the point of saying he's not going to play and then just all of a sudden play him in game six? You know, like I don't are they are they really going to panic that much and just dress him even though they've literally said no, he's not playing in this series. He's fucking out, and then just like you know. Like, it's a, I don't know, what's a good ref, wrestler reference? A wrestler coming back from the dead, you know? Like, a, like a, did John Cena do that sometime? The Undertaker? I don't know. Sure, yeah, that seems like something he might have done. I don't know, I don't really know much about him. But yeah, so I think uh, perhaps that Steven Stamkos does show up within this series, but they already said he wasn't going to, so I'm going to assume that that's what we're still going off of and that he won't play until the Stanley Cup Final if they get there. Okay. Um... Got a lot of fucking staff news to talk about here. A lot of, a lot of mm. wheeling and dealing in terms well, of suits. And, and speaking of wheeling and dealing, uh, I, I feel like it's a good time for me to mention our uh, our the new uh, freaking sponsor of the Laced Up a Hockey Podcast. We're not a free agent anymore? No. Um, this week's episode of Laced Up a Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Smoke and Mirrors Media. Are you, have you heard about this? I have not. Oh, okay. Well, that's an exciting opportunity, Jen. Smoke and Mirrors Media is a creative media production company specializing in photography and videography. Their services provide creative content for clients that offer extraordinary advertising and exposure opportunities that will help any size or type of business stand out from the competition. Whether you're a struggling artist with a small budget or a successful business with some extra cash, Smoke and Mirrors Media can take your venture to the next level. Now, now let me tell you about this, James. Okay, you're, you ready to hear about this? They Refresh. offer, they offer, no, they offer photography and videography services, like I mentioned. So, professional photography offers your websites, brochures, and social media outlets the opportunity to shine. Professional videography creates an opportunity that allows potential customers and clients to get an in-depth look into your unique venture. Wow, what a, what are the what a bunch of options. Uh, Smoke and Mirrors Media doesn't just deal with commercial shoots either. They also do private accounts. So if you're looking for wedding or engagement photos, family portraits, or even more, it can be available through Smoke and Mirrors and nobody does it better. Visit smokeandmirrorsmedia.ca for more information and follow at smokeandmirrors.media on Instagram for more information. Get that Instagram account for all you Instagrammers out there. That's that's a great way to see the work that Smoke and Mirrors does. Uh, we have an Instagram account, although we do not use it. So if you're looking to get into Instagram... Hard to take a lot of photos for a podcast. Yeah, I mean, every week it would just be you and I sitting at the table, like, and no one, no one's here. So I would just be taking a selfie of us just like leaning into the microphones and our computers here at the same table every week. Or every two weeks, depending on if your mom's here. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. That's our new sponsor. Media guy. Yeah. Well, that's nice. You know, it seems like it's more likely 
that uh, listeners of the podcast are going to need photos than a uh, fly-in fishing trip anytime soon. So, I'll um, I'll have to make a point of uh, reaching out and uh, introducing myself to the new uh, owner of this uh, exciting new venture. Yeah, it's, I'm a sh- I'm sorry. There's no fish for them to mm-hmm. list quite yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of staff uh, <laughs> news to get to. Uh, you want to do this rapid fire or just fucking one at a time? Here? I, I don't know. Um, wow. Uh, Jim Montgomery back in the NHL, mm. uh, hired by the St. Louis Blues to be an assistant coach. Um. Look, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and... I, I know we talked about Jim Montgomery and his time with Dallas back in the regular season. Um, we didn't know what happened back then. We don't know what happened now today. Like We, we still don't really know exactly the what was said uh, in the dressing room behind closed doors uh, to the players. But Well, or if there was any incident there. I mean, allegedly that's not what happened, but we don't know. Right. Regardless... He's got a fresh start in St. Louis. Uh, ho- hopefully, this goes well for him. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, this is there's there's no glitches, or yeah. hiccups. Or... He's he's done some very interesting interviews in the last month or so, uh, just talking about his his road back and and his family life right now. And um, by all accounts, sounds like he's doing very well. His wife and family sounds like they're behind him one hundred percent. Everything seems to be, uh, if not repaired, at least on the mend on that front of his life. So. I mean, I, I wish him well. Uh, good on him for for being open and honest about it. And I think if he hadn't been, then he wouldn't be here today. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, like, not even just in the sense of coaching. Like, it's just uh, when you have an issue like that, you need to be uh, open and honest with not just yourself, but your your family. Otherwise, it's never going to get any better. So um, good on him. It, it, it's why he's able to get back into the game on less than a year turnaround like that's that's great for him in that sense so um hopefully he's ready for it um i'm sure he is otherwise he wouldn't be doing it and i wish him all the best sticking with st louis uh former assistant gm bill armstrong uh hired to be the uh, new arizona coyotes gm um yeah you know what like i'll I'll, I'll give him props okay I, i don't know if this was right for arizona but sure we, we talk all the time about uh, the same old recycled names going through the NHL. This at least is a new one. <laughs> By all accounts, Bill Armstrong. Yeah, you really found the silver lining on that never, one. Never been a GM in the NHL before. Uh, and, hey, you're talking about the, uh, def- you know, to, to, to date defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, may as well go get their number two guy uh, when you can. So um, maybe it works. You know, maybe Bill Armstrong was the secret architect to the uh, St. Louis Blues championship there. Um, and maybe he uh, has a few tricks up his sleeve to take down to the desert. Is he, is he Doug Armstrong's brother? What's what, How does that work? I don't think so. No? They're just, they literally just had two Armstrongs unrelated running the organization? Uh, from what I can tell, he is not related to Doug Armstrong. Okay. I mean, they don't really look that much alike, so... Uh, yeah, like what, whatever. I, I don't know. This is the, um, like I know, I knew more about Bill Zito last week than I, I can't remember the last time a team hired a GM that I knew less about than Bill Armstrong. And you got to keep in mind that the freaking Buffalo Sabres hired Kevin Adams, uh, like a month ago. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even have a comment on this. I think, I think it's weird. Um, 
because I've never heard his name out there in any in any regard. I think it's better than one of the other people that they interviewed, which was Pierre Maguire, because every team seems to interview Pierre Maguire. But, like, do you remember, like, literally, like, a day and a half ago, like, before anything had gotten mentioned about Bill Armstrong, that's just like, oh, yeah, the... Coyotes are interviewing uh, Pierre Maguire and Kevin Weeks and freaking Eddie Olchek for the GM job. And it's like, oh, cool. That's a great final three. Like, yeah, just pick a bunch of broadcasters. Give it to James Duthie. Like, what are we talking about here? It, 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 very bizarre. So I don't know how true any of those reports really were because Bill Armstrong's name never got mentioned and now he's the GM. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it, I don't know what to make yeah, of it. So it is kinda weird, yeah. uh, regardless, good for him. And uh, I, again, wish him all the best because I don't know anything about him. Fair enough. Um, Can I ask you a question, though? Like, are, are, sure. we're, we're done on the GM fronts, right? That was the only hire this week. We don't have any other GM stuff to discuss, really, so. right? Yeah. Okay. What What is your honest opinion? This could be a 10-minute discussion. It could be 30 seconds. What is your honest opinion about Mike Gillis? Because... His name never gets brought up anymore. And I think that there are plenty of examples of GMs who get their chance, fuck it up, and don't get back in. But I don't really think Mike Gillis fucked his up. Like, he slowly made the roster worse, but it wasn't like he made you know what I mean like he signed a bunch of contracts in one offseason and shot himself in the foot like it just kind of the team got older he didn't really know how to handle it I don't really know if any GMs did back in 2013-ish and kind of just made a, a little muck of things by the end he got run out of town and probably rightfully so but I just think it's weird he never gets he, he's never involved in the conversation it sort of makes me wonder like what yeah what we don't know about Mike Gillis like is he is he maybe just not an ass kisser and he's not on anyone's 200 hockey men list and, and you know what I mean? Or maybe he is too far that way and he doesn't believe in analytics or something. Like, I just don't get it. Because the guy doesn't really get brought up as a candidate or even, like, a, an option for, like, lesser jobs in front offices. Like, he's just been nowhere for years. It's It's tough. Like, obviously, like, the relationship with Trevor Linden, I think that speaks volumes yeah. to to a lot of organizations that, you know, like this Mike Gillis guy, maybe he doesn't play nice with other people in the sandbox. And that's fine if he doesn't play nice with, you know, the scouts and assistant GMs. But if he's not going to play nice with our franchise players, well, you know, this is an entertainment business at the end of the day. And we want to yeah. be able to bring fucking, you know. I mean, I, I understand that he wasn't a fit for the Ottawa Senators. Okay, I get that. Sure. That wouldn't have... Sure. Him and Eugene Melnick would have probably... One of them, probably Gillis, would have killed the other one uh, within like an hour or so. But like, I do think that there are teams that are run by Board of Governors that could have used a new GM in the last few years. And it's just like, maybe Mike Gillis would have been a fit. And my specific example is Arizona. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. But, yeah. I don't know. Like, I look at, look at Mike Gillis's two predecessors in Vancouver too like neither of those guys are fucking GMing anymore either so it might just be a culture thing here with, with but GM'd after that both of them right both of them GM'd the Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> wow I really didn't, didn't need to dive into that I so guess, basically but... all I'm saying is the next GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs <laughs> is Mike Gillis 
when Kyle Doofus is initially is inevitably fired. See, see what I did there? When when Mike Gillis gets hired to replace Kyle Dubas in Toronto, I'm I'm going to resign from the podcast. Okay. Because I don't think I can talk about hockey at that point ever again. <laughs> Just a heads up. See, like, like notice. I've noticed all of the all of the um, all of the predictions that I believe in not only like don't come true; they go so far the other way. But when I make these joking predictions, they seem to seem to happen. You know? Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, not a fan of that. I, we really should go back and listen to our uh, who we predicted to win freaking awards this year. You know that would have been good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Peter Laviolette is the new uh, head man in Washington behind the bench uh, as the coach, yeah. taking over for Todd Reardon. Um, he gets to coach uh, the waning years of well, the waning year at least of Alexander Ovechkin's time in the uh, the capital. The funny thing is, is like I don't even think he's the most washed player in that core. Like that, you know, I don't really like what I'm seeing out of TJ Oshie these days. Oh, you mean TJ Soshi? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Shootout wizard. Uh, well, I like them when they get to a shootout. Maybe that's that might be the plan next year. I'm pretty sure every team's going to come back and try to get to a shootout two to one every fucking night because it worked for two of the three teams left in the playoffs. True. So, uh, fine fit, like. I think it's great. Yeah, the, I the think it's a that great were available, fit. I think Peter Laviolette was the great uh, best man standing. Easily, I think, so yeah. Like I, I say this. Um, I say this with all love for Peter Laviolette because I do think that even currently, as far as I know, he's probably like a top eight coach on the planet. Um, but he is kind of a poor man's Barry Trotz in a lot of ways. So I do think that this is a good fit too because I think. I think he's going to get a lot out of that roster, to be honest with you. I think he is just a, uh, a Barry Trotz that is um, maybe a little more likable with his players, uh, while still being, by all accounts, like a hard-ass. So, I kind of like that. Like, I think that that's just... I think that that's just good for these guys in the later years. Like, a lot of these guys, Backstrom, Ovechkin, they don't need to be yelled at, and you know what I mean? Uh, killed all the time anymore because they have been for years by coach after coach after coach. So I think Laviolette is going to kind of understand that. And um, But he's had a lot of success in this league. One thing that he's done that he doesn't get any credit for is adapt uh, as a head coach. His style with all of his teams, he's changed the way they play while he's been there um, with pretty much every team that he's coached. And uh, I have a lot of respect for him in that sense. I think he's a very good coach and I... Uh, I think it's a very good hire. Yeah, hope, hopefully uh, Peter Laviolette can just come in and, and address the big problem and, and just get, get this team to start playing uh, with a 900 save percentage in net because, you know, that would certainly do the job. Uh, I think, too, I will say this. Like, they're obviously going to have a change in net, at least in one of the two positions. Like, I, I would assume it's going to be Samsonov and, I don't know, some cheap mid-tier goalie, we'll say Cam Talbot or something. And, um, like, I, I, I don't think that their goaltending is the end of their struggles anyway. It obviously would help if they had better goaltending next year. But um, part of me does kind of think that this team is, is done. Um, I, I do think that parts of their core are, are definitely declining and, and some at a more rapid rate than others. And I'm not referring to Alexander Ovechkin there. Um, so I am a little bit concerned that 
it might be too little too late. They may have missed their window in the last two years with Reardon. Uh, maybe not, to be honest with you. Laviolette might be able to get it going. But all I'm saying is I do think that there is work to be done by Brian McClellan here before we uh, we really say too much if this is, you know, perfect, I guess, for, for the Capitals. Yeah. I think they need a, they need some work this offseason too, so... Uh, Flames remove the interim keg from yes. Jeff Ward's uh, title as uh, coach. Um, See the interim keg? Tig. Oh, yeah. I could go for a keg. Uh, that is one less position available now for interim genuine draft. A couple of guys that might be all of a sudden looking on the outside in. Um, Gerard Gallant still without a, a position. And you'd, you'd figure, like at this point, we'd kind of have an idea if, if anyone, like, I can't see a team turning around and firing their coach now at this stage. Well,. There are two teams still that have an interim head coach. Um, one of them is currently uh, in the Stanley Cup final, so I feel like they probably have their head coach. Um, the other team is higher on top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The other team is uh, is San Jose, um, who they're gonna they're gonna need to pick a new guy. I don't know if Gallant or or Babcock or anyone that's out there. Uh, that's a big name is their guy, but I would tell you that their current guy is not the guy. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Seattle does need a head coach, but they're still a year out. So I don't know if like Bruce Boudreaux wants to wait another year before coaching in the league yeah. again to go coach yeah. Seattle. Like it might be a while till we get a coach in Seattle still, um, so that's kind of interesting too, but I yeah I, I hear what you're saying. Like the window does close a little bit here because, like you go down the list and it's just I don't I don't really know that there are any teams that like the only team that I can think of that if they fired their coach now I wouldn't be shocked is Anaheim, and it's not because Dallas Eakins deserves to be fired. It's just the whole Bob Murray thing from a few months ago. Like if he just Decides he can't trust Eakins one night when he's fucking having a scotch at his cabin and calls him up the next morning and says, you're gone. I wouldn't be shocked. There is one other team that I, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be shocked that they fired the coach, but not shocked uh, by who fired the coach. Uh, and that would be if Jim Rutherford uh, had one to me were there oh, one night and uh, decided to move on oh, from Mike Sullivan. Because that was rumored there for a bit, so... Not not saying it would be the right move. I'll maybe. give him credit. Yeah. First good trade he's probably made in three years was uh, getting rid of Nick Bukestad. So I'll give him a little bit of credit there. Yeah. Uh, give me a seventh rounder because the draft goes till nine still, correct? <laughs> Hasn't for a while there, Jim. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, I can take Stefan Fissay with that pick. Mike Kitchen has been uh, relieved of his duties in the Florida Panthers organization. You know the Florida Panthers organization, that organization that just breeds oh success and professionalism. God. Um, for abuse allegations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not condoning what he did. But when that's I, always a good way to start. When I heard the story about like what led to him kicking the guy, I was like. Oh, I didn't hear. Yeah, so like uh, they didn't name names, like they didn't say like what player it was. But they, I didn't. Yeah, they, I didn't hear the, anything about this. The guy really. gets off the ice and he's all pissed off and grabs a water bottle and he slams on the bench and just drenches my kitchen. Oh no, I did so, hear like, that. My kitchen like kicks the guy or whatever, and it was like, yeah, well, you know, like if someone threw a thing of water at me, I'd I'd probably haul off and kick him in the back of the head as well. But also, I don't you know necessarily coach at a high level of uh, you know, sports where I'm you know on on 
yeah. display for the public day in and day out. Yeah, so, like I, I could see... Um, I could fly off the handle from time to time. I'm not but, con- condoning it, but I could see like, you know, uh, like your, your fucking backup goalie's uh, dad, Randy, who's helping the head coach this weekend because none of the... None of the other head coach or none of the other coaches could make it, you know, in a fucking hockey tournament just snapping. I could see that. But this guy's getting paid by all accounts like six figures and has been coaching in the league for fucking 30 years or something like that. And, um, yeah, you would think you have a little more composure. Maybe that was Mike Kitchen's only suit, though. Maybe, you know, maybe that was the problem. He only has the one suit. Again, I mean, well, yeah, I don't know. That would be the ultimate dad move, I guess. Yeah. Um, he kind of looks like Ken Campbell. So he's out. He, this is a this is a guy that's been coaching for the league for thirty years now, pretty much uh, twenty seven of the last twenty nine years that Mike Kitchen has been involved in the yeah. NHL. Um, I, this would be, I would say, a, a regrettable end to his career uh, if if this is how yeah. it ends. Um, you, you have to keep your you have to be accountable for yourself uh, every given moment. But by all accounts, I, I you think we were talking about a very you know, small stain on a otherwise pretty good record by all accounts. We don't know what happened in the fucking eighties. Like this guy could have been beating guys in the dressing room for all we know. Well, but. he he is considered by by many. Uh, obviously, you can never account for every person that knows every person. Um, but is considered by many to be a pretty well respected member of his community, right? Um, which. Yeah, I mean, like it that that doesn't write the whole story, right? But um you would hope that maybe there's another side to this story that is somewhat redeeming for him. Um but but maybe there maybe it isn't. He he might have made a pretty regrettable decision that he's uh, not going to live down. It's hard to say. Um the one thing I will say is is going back to a previous episode is you know, we thought that he wasn't going to... Well, I thought he wasn't going to the bubble because of a health-related decision, and I commended him for it, and uh, now I know that that's not the case. But whether or not this is something that actually happened and is, is his fault or not, we don't know yet. But, uh, I don't know, I, I wasn't really surprised when I... If you would have told me that a coach on any fucking coaching staff was under investigation for this, uh, Florida would have been um, uh, toward the high high end of my list, for sure. Guessing who it might have been, yeah, for sure. Fair enough. Dysfunctional. Um, okay, this this is one I didn't I didn't hear about, but we've, okay. got, we've got it written down here. The Don Sweeney-Tory Krug UFA situation. Yeah. Obviously, Tory Krug is uh, due for a new contract in Boston. I'm, I'm going to assume based on the very limited information that right. I have here in front of me, that there's some sort of situation uh, concerning his UFA status with uh, general manager Don Sweeney. Uh, yeah, I can't really remember exactly what Tory Krug said. Um, but basically, uh, something along the lines like um, he said he's making, he, he's looking for a long-term contract. And someone asked him a question about if he was willing to take less years to stay with the Bruins. And he basically, like, literally word for word said, I'm very opposed to that. And kind of didn't go into it much more. Just that he has been underpaid for years and he's earned his right to make his money. And I agree with him 100%. And Don Sweeney made a comment that, again, I agree with Don Sweeney 100%, where he just said... You know, Tory uh, has earned the right in this league to say what it, say what he wants about his career, 
Uh, so as far as I'm concerned, he could say whatever the hell he wants and kind of left it at that and also didn't dabble further into uh, what he might mean there. So, yeah, that that's it's kind of an interesting combination of comments. It, it basically leads me to believe, I mean, more than I did in the first place, that I don't see how Tory Krug is playing for the Boston Bruins uh, beyond, well, I guess ever again, or maybe he goes back one day, but um, yeah, he's gone. This this could be an off-season, I think, in, in my opinion, that we see a lot of guys get to UFA, mm-hmm. test the waters, yeah. and then realize, you know what? I do agree with that. I gotta come home. I think Krug might be the Krug only guy on the market yeah. where where if I'm another team, I feel I feel pretty safe about giving him a big deal. Like Krug is a guy where it's just like his style really does indicate that that's where the league is headed. And um, there used to be a knock on Tory Krug, like yeah, it's great. Like you know, people looked at him like Tyson Berry kind of thing, where it's just like yeah, well, great, he's going to put up sixty points for you, but he's a black hole defensively and. Now Tory Krug is very good defensively. Like he's just a very good defenseman. So um, he is one guy that I do think he's going to get paid. Maybe not what he's looking to get paid, but I I don't I just there's no way Boston yeah. can afford to give out a deal like that. So for sure, yeah. Tory, Tory Krug obviously maybe not the best example of what I was trying to hit home with. No, but I th- I think you're right. Like yeah, I don't I don't. It's going to be a lot of money like penny pinching here coming up. So. I don't see how. Taylor Hall is getting the deal that Taylor Hall would have gotten a year ago. Should like I just, I just maybe maybe should get even. Uh, well, he's he's not going to get what he should get. I think what he would have got a year ago and what he should get are very different things. Sure. But um, yeah, I don't. I, I like. I'm interested to see how things are going to work out for him. But yeah, it's one of those situations. Like Boston doesn't really have a lot of cap room, and they still have to figure out Jake DeBrusque and who's going to get a raise. Matt Grizzlick's going to get a raise. Technically, they have to sign Zidane Ochara if they want him. Kevin Miller is a UFA if they want to retain him. So, um, yeah, I, I I just don't see how uh, Tory Krug is back there. But it was just kind of an interesting sort of development, and people were freaking out. It's like, well, how could Don Sweeney say that? And it's like, well, because that's just he's just being a guy, man. Like that's just <laughs> like I don't know what the hell is he gonna say? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, the Montreal Canadiens have. Uh, Signed Joel Edmondson. Ugh. Edmonton. A, Edmondson to a four-year extension. One, two, three. Yeah, one, two, three, four. There it is, right there in front yeah, of me. That's four years. Count them. Four years with a modified no trade clause. There's a ten-team uh, no trade list he can submit <laughs> where he cannot go. Uh, take it. You don't like the deal? No. I mean, I don't. I don't know if Joel Edmondson is as bad a fit in Montreal as people made it out to be uh he is by all accounts fairly bad but um like the knocks on him mostly come from his time in carolina he wasn't horrible in st louis the problem with carolina for joel edmondson is carolina might be when they want to be the fastest team in the nhl and joel edmondson is by all accounts very slow a very bad skater and doesn't have a ton of positional uh, awareness. It's kind of just like if Dustin Bufflin wasn't talented kind of thing is, is what, uh, what my understanding is. So, you know, he would pinch in all the fucking time on uh, when Carolina had uh, 
you know, sustained pressure offensively and always would make the wrong decision, pinch in at a weird time, you know, blow a, blow a spot like that. Um, like, he just, by all accounts, is just sort of an unbalanced defenseman. Like, is a defensive defenseman, but doesn't do that well either. Like, makes weird decisions there. Now, that's not me insulting uh, Montreal, but my point is that, you know, if he's going to a slower team and is maybe, you know, playing with another slower defenseman that can kind of slow the game down, maybe that helps him if he simplifies his game. Maybe. Uh, but I gotta tell you, I'm 95% sure that this is a fucking terrible deal. Um, but we'll see. I just, there's no real reason for me to believe it's gonna work out, other than maybe playing on a completely opposite sort of speed team helps him. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I don't, there's no way he's worth three and a half million a year. He's a poor man's Carl Alsner, and then we saw how that worked out. Uh, Evolving Hockey, I don't know if if you're familiar with Evolving Hockey, they, Mm -hmm. they do a lot of interesting uh, analytic work. They do uh, some deep dive into a lot of numbers. They had uh, Edmondson projected at four and a half million for a four-year term as mm-hmm. a free agent. Uh, four point nine uh, at six years. It was an extension. Obviously, this is kind of somewhere in the middle because it's not really an extension, but it's not really a free agent situation. It comes somewhere in the middle. So by by those accounts, those numbers, Montreal's getting a deal in mm-hmm. a lot of ways here at three and a half. Um, so it's interesting. Like, like I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think Joel Edmondson is anything to, to write home about. But I, I definitely think that he's going to help the Montreal Canadiens and their back end. Like he brings in some experience. He's still only twenty seven years old. Like you know, he this might be a guy that maybe he finds a, a better fit in Montreal. Like you spoke about. Uh, I don't think Carolina was ever going to be the place for him uh, to call home, uh, especially for the type of game he plays. St. Louis at work. Like we we saw it. It wasn't. It wasn't. You know, he wasn't a top four guy there, but he could be slotted in and, and you knew what you were going to get out of him night in and night out. And he played St. Louis hockey and he, he played their style. And it, you know what? It worked. They won a cup. So um, if he can go to Montreal and maybe fits into their system a little well, bit better. And that's what I mean, right? Yeah. Like he was playing with Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko a lot of nights when they won the Stanley Cup. And, you know, I, I don't think either Shea Weber or Jeff Petrie are quite Alex Petrangelo or Colton Pareko, but I do think that they're both... I think Petrie's good, anyway. So, I I I do think that there's something to be said for playing with that, you know, I guess just a slower two-way defenseman that kind of suits his style a little bit more, maybe helps. Um, I, 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 and, and that's one reason why I think that there are analytics out there that maybe support Joel Edmondson, um... You know what I mean? More than than other conventional ones. I, I, I think Evolving Hockey is fucking way out there. Like, I don't trust anything they say. But, um, or Evolving Wild, rather. But, um, it might be a situation where that is closer to the way that Montreal looks at players. And does explain maybe why they would give him such a deal. But I, I do think it, I still think it's very bizarre. Um... All right, yeah, we got some awards to get through. Um, uh, I'll start. I got a little list here, actually, that that's that's got them all listed out. Uh, we've got a few that we don't know about. Obviously, the Calder, the Hart, the big ones, the Vesna, stuff like that. The Norris uh, will be announced during the Seneca Finals, uh, but also so the playoffs. Stupid. They've been announcing 
the awards uh, kind of round by round. Uh, so let's let's start at the top here. Whether we've talked about them or not, we're just going to kind of run through them. The King Clancy Memorial Trophy, yeah. uh, Matt Dumba. Um, not really a surprise, but a surprise in the sense that normally these awards are voted on prior to the playoffs. Yeah. So, like, obviously Matt Dumba doing incredible work in the NHL and for the uh, HDA and, and all that. We saw him in, in, in the, uh, you know, opening round of the playoffs there, making a statement and, and doing the best that he can to speak out about uh, the Black Lives Movement. Um, but he, he went to the King Clancy Memorial Trophy, as he should. Um, just kind of, like I said, kind of odd that... Uh, if whether that was the choice yeah, before, it just kind of worked out that yeah, way. Yeah. Hopefully, that's not the case, but uh, I guess we'll never know. Um, the Bill Masterson Memorial Trophy going to Bobby Ryan of the Ottawa Senators yeah. uh, as yeah. uh, the player voted to uh, you know the most dedication, the most sportsmanlike preservation to the uh, game of hockey, uh, beating out Oscar Lindblom, who uh, you know again uh, had the voting not been done. Mm-hmm. Prior to the playoffs, maybe maybe uh, coming yeah. on top here a little bit, but uh, regardless, uh, you know him and Stephen Johns running up uh, as the as the finalists. Yeah, three incredible three finalists yeah. this year. Three it's, great it's, yeah. yeah, it's absolutely great to see. Uh, well, at least uh, you know for sure. Uh, still wishing Stephen Johns uh, all the best because um, he's back on the IR with no foreseeable timetable. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, Three deserving nominees, anyway. It's good to see Bobby Ryan win that. Yeah. Um, hopefully, uh, Molson can't even can tame it down on uh, social media moving mm-hmm. forward. Uh, the Jack Adams Award for Head Coach of the Year, as awarded uh, by the NHL's Broadcasters Association. Always always a weird one when you see these these awards that are voted on by people outside of the you know inner circle of the normal uh, vote casters. Uh, Bruce Cassidy wins this one from the Boston Bruins. Uh, beating out John Tortorella from the Blue Jackets and Alain Vigneault of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say first and foremost, I don't think he would be my pick. Yeah, but I do like that we've gotten for at least this year away from the um, you know congratulatory. Hey, you did better than we thought you were going to do. So here's an award uh, for the Jack Adams. Jack Adams for the last couple of years has been this, hey, you're, we're really surprised that your team didn't fucking suck this year. So here's an award. Um, whereas in, you know, going back through the history, you look at guys winning in the 80s and 70s and stuff like that. Like, they, they were the coach of the best fucking team because they knew how to coach the game and they got their team to the, you know, top of the standings and they usually would go on and, and have success. And Bruce Cassidy's Boston Bruins were the best fucking team in hockey this year, and they had a lot of success. So there's an argument to be made that maybe Bruce Cassidy deserves the award. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, I don't know how you argue against the guy who literally won the most games in the league. Like, it's it's hard to argue against him. It's also one of those things where, um, you know, the argument seems to be always very inconsistent because it's Bruce Cassidy is the reason the Bruins are so good, and then there's also the Bruins are are good on their own, and the, like they're the deepest team in the league, and it's just like it, it, like there's there's a lot of opinions out there, so it's it's hard to gauge which narrative you take and which you don't. Um, just to me, I think Bruce Cassidy is a good coach. I, I don't like him. I think he's an asshole, but uh, he's a good coach that uh, uh, is a top ten coach in the league under pretty much every circumstance and I just thought that there were 
probably four or five guys that were more directly responsible with how well their teams did than he was. But, uh, again, his team won the most games, so he definitely didn't do a bad job. All right. Can you uh, can you name the other three Boston Bruins head coaches to win the Jack Adams Award? No. Okay. No. Okay. I refuse to learn the history of that team. Oh. Uh, fucking uh, Jack Edwards, uh, uh, Jeremy Jacobs, and fucking uh, uh, Brad Marchand. Well, two of the three are very likable guys. Uh, okay. Don Cherry, obviously, famously won it back in the seventies. Uh, a great guy. Our boy Patty Burns. Patty Burns. Okay, that is a good you know, guy. Patty Burns, great guy. And uh, and Claude Julien. Pat Burns won it as coach of the Bruins. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay, I didn't know that. There you go. There we go. Um, the Frank J. Selke Trophy uh, for defensive forward uh, excelling in the sport. Um, Bergeron. Couturier, O'Reilly, your finalist. Couturier winning from the Philadelphia Flyers. So, um, I guess Patrice Bergeron is human. Yeah. I mean, Couturier, again, more deserving than Bergeron to me. But also, um, I I went O'Reilly, I think, over Couturier. I forget. I don't I think, think I, so. I think I went Stone, O'Reilly, someone than Couturier. Like, Couturier wasn't even in my top three. Okay. But... I, it's again. It's not like he had a he had a bad year. I've gotten to this point with these awards where it's just like as long as they don't get it like sp- specifically wrong, I'm fine with it. You know, and as I don't think like Derek Fisher dropping pop flies in the outfield. Uh, sure, wrong. like some yeah. of the other awards we may or may not get to on here, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah, whatever. It's fine. He definitely is a good defensive forward. This was his first uh, selkie, I believe, as well. And yeah, well, he was due. He's James been putting some time in. You yeah. Know? Um, no, no. Honestly, great defensive forward. I'm happy to see him get one um, as uh, Patrice Bergeron's career comes to an end. Obviously, someone has to take out the mantle. So. The funniest part, too, though, is like, uh, like, not that I'm taking anything away from Sean Couturier, but like when I think of Sean Couturier as a player, literally the first thing that comes to mind is John Tavares deking him out of his jock a couple of years ago. That clip was that was just funny. Like Again, I don't know who the hell was going to stop John Tavares there other than, you know, maybe like Mark Stone or Pavel Datsuk, but... Um, yeah, it was. It, uh, that's what I think of. So when I hear best defensive forward, I just kind of laugh. But it's like he is a very good defensive forward. He just he just uh, got screwed around a little on three on three one time. Yeah. Uh, the Lady Big Memorial Trophy going to Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. Sure. Uh, also being Ryan O'Reilly uh, and Austin Matthews. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Why not? I guess. Whatever. Yeah. yeah cool. Again. Again, when I think of Nathan McKinnon, I think of him uh, fucking slamming a water bottle in Jared Bednar's face last year, so I don't really look at him as a gentlemanly player. But he he is one, you know, like generally speaking, he is a, um, you know, a, a good ambassador for the sport, I think, and that's part of what this award is, even though it doesn't overtly state that. So, I think it's a good choice. Again, I, I would have gone like Jacob Slavin, but he wasn't even nominated. So, Well, defensemen never are. Yeah. Um, and then what we got here? Oh, yeah. the uh, <clears throat> We got the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Mark Giordano gets that one. Good for him. He's a good leader, a good captain, good little good Canadian boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that leaves us with the Jim Gregory there General Manager of the Year Award. There it is. Uh, Julian Brisebois of the Tampa Lightning, Lou Lamarello, and Jim Nill are your finalists. 
uh, hey, how's that? That's pretty cool. All, all three teams uh, made it to the fucking conference finals. Yeah. Good, good for those GMs. That's fantastic. Yeah, worth noting on this award, uh, the only award that for some reason is voted on after the second round of the playoffs, which I think is really freaking bizarre. And, and by a panel of and, GMs and even better, yeah, for, forty-one guys vote on the award, and thirty-one of them are the people in the running for the fucking award. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Um, this, this is, uh, very much just a, uh, our, our buddies are working in hockey. Let's just give them an award. So that way, you know, we can add that to their freaking hall of fame plaque at the end of the day. Um, cause when you look at, at past winners of the award, not only did like, I think maybe one year the GM's team won the cup, but like, even when you consider like their, their, body of work like only three of them i think had like there's only three years where any of them had won the cup within like 10 15 years of them winning that like i didn't actually write it down but i was looking at it the other night and i'm just looking at it i'm like yeah other than jimmy rutherford like none of these guys did anything around the time that they won the award uh in terms of like stanley cup wins like it's just kind of funny you know um so yeah whatever i mean like it's it's a bizarre award but uh I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Lou Lamorello has done a bad Lou, job with Lou that Lamarello team. Lou Lamorello won it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like he's done a bad job with the team. I'm not going to sit here and say that. I mean, by all accounts... Ross he, Johnston. He, uh, he has. But, I mean, they continue to win, so it's not like he's, like, completely fucked them either. But, um... Yeah, I think I think Lou Lamorello had a lot to do with that 9:30 goaltending that the uh, Islanders have been getting. That's, do you think it's possible really out of the out of the 31 GMs that like 29 of them just forgot to vote and then Lou voted for himself? No, no. And this, then, is, this is honestly they all voted, but this is a lifetime achievement award, and Lou Lamorello deserves it. I would love to know too because it's five it's five media members and five <laughs> NHL executives. <laughs> like in theory, if they all just the ten of them just band together and vote for a guy and every gm just votes for himself you know like it works out great i'm, I'm gonna have to assume that they can't vote for themselves <laughs> okay so they do this system where it's like they vote one they vote the one guy to the right yeah. exactly yeah. so bob murray votes for fucking bill armstrong. uh bill armstrong now and then bill armstrong you know magically votes for fucking don sweeney yeah you know cool yeah um yeah, this is the dumbest award in sports. I'm not gonna lie. If if this was the Jim Gregory it's General Manager uh, Career Achievement Award, I have no fucking problem with that. I have I have no sure. problem giving these guys some recognition because, sure. like, at the end of the day, GMs don't really get like they don't have the opportunity to win anything aside from the Stanley Cup. And if they don't win the Stanley Cup, it's like, hey, boo hoo, you fucking didn't do a good job and you suck. But like, there are certain guys out there that like like David Poyle. It's just going to be, like, a, a really solid dude and, like, a good GM for 50 fucking years in this league. And, yeah, he might just not get a cup. But maybe it'd be nice if he could have something to, like, hang on the wall and tell the grandkids about one day. And it'd be nice. Honestly, it would be nice to have the GMs get something. But not for the year. No. <laughs> not for one sample of this entire... This, this job that is is so like there's a, there's like a five-year minimum almost mm-hmm. to uh to your tenure uh, now some gyms don't get that long and they, well, know, yeah, that's, that's, usually that's, becomes pretty obvious that it's not exactly, going that well exactly so but 
fucking of the year. It just gets me every time. I can't believe it. Lou Lamorello uh, winning this award for acquiring Andy Green and former John Gabriel Pajot. So that, that's fantastic. That's all it takes to win the GM of the Year award because that's all he fucking did this year. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you know, like Ray Shiro winning it in 2013 because the Penguins were so good uh, between 2010 and 2016. Oh, hey, uh, so. hey, hey, Lou, the uh, the Capitals just won the Cup and their their coach is leaving, and you don't have a coach, and you're the only team that doesn't have a coach. Do you think you want to sign the guy that just won the Cup with the Capitals? I sure would. Well, fantastic. Uh, you're now uh, the winner of the uh, Gym of the Year award in a couple of years from now because uh, you, you hired the only coach that needed a job. Well, James, but you got to realize how impressive it was that he managed to convince John Spano to raise $25 million to pay Barry Trotz. John Spano owns the team still, right? I think so. Yeah. Somewhere. They had to do like a fucking Kickstarter to pay the head coach. Back, back to Wouldn't that be funny if they just like, yeah, you know what, you can own the team, but you got to find a way to come up with all the money, and they just kept doing like Kickstarters so the fans like collectively own the team, okay. but John Spano had his name okay. on all the papers. Okay. That'd be a good way to do it. That would be a good way to do it. Um, speaking of a good way to do things, we've okay. got uh, a little bit of time left, actually. We went, we went through that pretty quick. We, we, sure. uh, we fired in all cylinders. Uh, we've got an overrated, underrated favorite, the least favorite to go, but nice. I'm going to give Brutes another round. No. Oh. Christ. Of excursion around the bay. Christ sakes. Um, everyone's favorite game show. Mm. I think. I hope. Yeah. Um, you know the, how this works. I've got uh, a list of 50 guys from the city of Thunder Bay, Ontario to have played in the NHL. 50 of the most notable guys from the city of Thunder Bay yeah. to play uh, in the NHL. And I'm going to uh, go through their uh, career transactions uh, one by one and see if you can come up with uh, that player. Uh, we've done this a few times uh, already. I think we've what was it? We're up to we've got like nine nine guys removed from the list, so we're down to oh, about forty guys left. 40, I, ca- 40 I guys can't left. remember if he's come up yet, but it'd be really cool if the guy who got traded today comes up tonight. But well, we'll have to see how the randomizer falls. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you are ready, <laughs> sir. On September sixteenth, twenty twenty, he was traded to the <laughs> Buffalo Sabers. Like, wait, it's not the sixteenth yet. They filed the paperwork, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, are you ready, sir? Yeah, sure. What the hell? All right. Uh, born May 29th, 1984. Um, that sounds about right. This player was drafted in the ninth round. No. That's <laughs> Jim not, Ruff the first. That's not no. Eric Stahl. No. Uh, drafted in the ninth Stahl. round, 282nd overall in 2003 by the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, on August 21st, 2007, he was signed as a free agent by the St. Louis Blues. Mm. On August 8th, 2015, he was signed as a free agent by the Philadelphia Flyers. On what was August, the date on that, sir? Uh, August 8th, 2015. Signed as a free agent with the Philadelphia 8th, Flyers. Is that it? On I'm October sorry. 1st, 2015, uh, he was claimed on waivers by the Minnesota Wild. And uh, to date... Um, has not played, has not retired, but has not played hockey since 2016. Oh, God. I don't think I have any idea who that is. Chicago, Philadelphia, Minnesota, St. Louis. So he was drafted by Chicago in the ninth round. Oh, oh, three. Oh, three. Hmm. I am very tired tonight, so this isn't really helping, but... 
Hmm. Minnesota, eh? I'm trying to think, like, because, you know, friend of the podcast, John Chozik, is a Minnesota Wild fan. Ah, Minnesota. And I'm trying to think, like, I, there's no way that a Thunder Bay player other than Eric Stahl would have played there um, and me not heard about it, you know what I mean, a bunch of times. Sure. But I'm struggling to think who this could have possibly been. Um, played for Chicago. Can I get the dates on the transactions again, please? Yeah, he was um, he was signed by the St. Louis Blues on August twenty first, two thousand seven. Uh, he signed as a free agent on August eighth, twenty fifteen, with the Philadelphia Flyers, and he was claimed off waivers uh, two months later by the Minnesota Wild. So he was conceivably in the Blues organization for a long time. Yeah. And then wasn't with the Flyers very long. Two months. So we're talking about a guy who spent a decent amount of time with the Blues. Um, and he never would have played for the Flyers probably other than maybe like a game or two if it was two months. And he got claimed at the beginning of the year. And... All, this all sounds very Paul Karpowicz-y, but I don't think that's him. Uh, but I don't really know who else this might be. I just don't feel like Paul Karpowicz ever uh, had anything to do with the Flyers or the, or the Wild. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that Paul Karpowicz never played in the NHL, actually. So. Uh, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, but this could be a guy that played like a game or two. Well, I guess you said it wouldn't have been. You've made that clear that that's not yeah. amongst the hmm. theme. So basically, we're thinking of uh, St. Louis Blues from Thunder Bay. I wrote an article on Puck Seventy Seven back in the day about, uh, or I guess I didn't publish it, but I had an article ready. Yeah, that's great. The the fifteen players from the St. Louis Blues that are, that are, had played that were from Thunder Bay, and this weird connection that I had to the St. Louis Blues from being from Thunder Bay. Ooh. No, that the transactions just don't seem right for this guy. But it, I honestly, I can't think of who else it would have been. I'm I played for Shattuck St. Mary's the year before Sidney Crosby showed up. I kind of swore that he had something to do with the Colorado Avalanche, but maybe I'm mixing up guys with the with the same last name. Uh, I'm going to guess that we're talking about Chris Porter. That's correct. Nice. We were looking for Chris Porter. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, not bad. He was actually born in Toronto, not Thunder Bay, but uh, yeah. he was from Thunder Bay. That's my fucking guy. All right, we'll I've never you, met him, but we'll give you one more. We'll keep it uh, keep it short. You cool. won't. No need to go for three here. Oh, this is a good one. This is a fun one. Well, there is a need to go for three if I get this one wrong. Oh, okay. If you get it wrong, we'll go. For yeah, three. We, I got to win or lose, okay. you know. All right. This player uh, was born November thirtieth, nineteen seventy-two. Hmm. He was drafted in the third round, 51st overall, in the 1991 entry draft by the Vancouver Canucks. Ooh. His transactions. This is a lengthy one, so get your pen and paper. Here we go. God. On February 14th, 1995, he signed as a free agent with the uh, newly uh, founded Anaheim Ducks. Okay. On March 24th, 1998, he was traded to Pittsburgh by Anaheim for the rights to Patrick Lalim. There goes Steve Ruchin. 
On November 25th, 1998, he was traded to New York, uh, the Rangers, by Pittsburgh with Chris Tamer and Peter Nedved for Alex Kovalev and Harry York. Pretty big trade. Pretty big trade. Okay. On February 12th, 1999, he was traded to L.A. by the Rangers for Eric Lacroix. <laughs> On August 25th, 1999, he signed as a free agent with the Boston Bruins. Okay. On December 5th, 2000, he was traded to uh, the Islanders oh, by Boston for future considerations. Oh, God. On May 18th, 2001, he was claimed on waivers by the newly uh, minted Columbus Blue Jackets from the New York Islanders. And on October 30th, 2003, uh, he was traded uh, back to the team that drafted him, Vancouver, by Columbus for Zenith Kamarski. There's no official date of retirement, but uh, this player has not played since the uh, NHL uh, went through its lockout in 2005. Right. Vancouver, Columbus, and he was in Boston before Columbus, right? Yes. And he was drafted by Vancouver. There's no sense in me trying to figure out anything before that, probably. Um, wow. Wow, 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 wow. 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 That's crazy. This is crazy. This one's crazy. You know? I do know. That's crazy. Uh, what What was his draft position again? 51st overall. Right. In 1991. Right, because I have a great handle of... By Van... Vancouver, Vancouver. to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh to the Rangers? Rangers. Rangers to the Bruins? Uh, Rangers to the Kings. Kings. Kings to the... Kings to the, to the Bruins. Can I, what was that transaction, Kings to the Bruins, again? Uh, he signed as a free agent by, oh, with Boston in the fuck. offseason. I was hoping he was maybe part of the fucking the, the Glenn trade, Murray trade, trade or something. Uh, the Peter Nedved Ox Kovalev trade, that's, that's, that's a big one. Yeah, but I don't... I if you don't know didn't even know that those two players were ever traded for each other. Um, I uh, wow! Well, I don't even really have a guess. Mm. The Blue Jackets—that's the part that's killing me because I have a good knowledge of the Blue Jackets around that time. And even if he didn't play, like you know what I mean, even if he only played like a game or two for the Blue Jackets, it's just—it's weird that I wouldn't know a Thunder Bay player on the Blue Jackets around then. Mm. You know? Okay. Like that's right when I was watching, started watching hockey. I got a pretty good knowledge of a lot of the rosters around then. But damn, 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 damn! Last game was for the Boston Bruins, eh? Or last transaction was to the Bruins? Uh, no. 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 Oh, sorry, Vancouver. Uh, yeah. Blue Jackets to Vancouver, Vancouver Canucks, eh? Oh, well, Vancouver oh, to the Blue Jackets. No. Blue Jackets. Sorry. Bruins to the Islanders. Islanders to the Blue Jackets. Blue Jackets to the Canucks. There's no Anaheim Ducks in there anywhere, is there? Earlier. He signed as a free agent with Anaheim, February 14th, 1995. Okay. I think I have a guess. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think I, think I got it. I don't know how you piece that together. <laughs> no, I think I got it. Is is it Sean Pronger? Yeah. 
<laughs> what are we talking about here? Two two Thunder Bay guys that have played for Anaheim. You name yeah. one of them. So yeah. Oh, there actually have been three, but yeah. Well, at least three. three anyway. That's crazy. Wow. Sean Pronger, my God. There you go. All right, it's time for overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. That's right. It's back. That's right. Uh, Lincoln Park songs. Yeah, we were supposed to do it last week. We left it up to the voters. This the ended up getting the second up, amount of votes. So we, uh, oh, whatever. I think, I think we did a fine job with the, uh, what did we do? The Coen Brothers movies. So that was fine. Uh, yeah, no, this week is the, the Lincoln Park songs. Uh, nice. Overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite Lincoln Park songs. Yes, uh, my guy. Uh, I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the honors. Uh, the wow, reason being is because my least favorite is just not that interesting. So I'd rather your oh, least, least favorite starting. Okay. No, but well, I'd rather oh. that round out the episode is what I'm getting at. So uh, my overrated. Um, it's kind of hard to pick an overrated Lincoln Park song. No, um, well, well, for for me, the answer was somewhat clear, but like I do think that they have a, a very big hit that's a little overrated. But I didn't I didn't pick it. Um, my overrated, I, I, I went with bleed it out. I just don't really like, it's just catchy, but I just, I've heard it a million times and I don't really need to hear it again. Uh, it would be a song that I would get very excited for at a concert, but I wouldn't, I don't have any desire to listen to it on my own time ever again. So I went bleed it out. Sure. Uh, my overrated uh, pick is, uh, in the end. Uh, okay. That's surprising. Yeah, it's a it's a good song. Yeah, it's way too overrated. See, and that's kind of how I felt with Numb, but like sure. Numb, it, Numb, it's just more I've heard it so many times. But like then I thought about it, I'm like, no, it is. It's probably properly rated though. Like it's an incredible fucking song. But um, no, it, yeah, it, that's fair. In the end, is is one of the bottom three songs on my album. It's a really fucking good album. That's a great album. But it it's just it, it doesn't rack up anywhere near the rest of those songs. Got a lot of attention, big single, obviously, you know, had had its moment. Fine song, way overrated. I listened to it. Yeah. I listened yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, it is. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't mean we don't like the song, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's what the least favorite's for. So Exactly. Right. Uh my underrated would be uh the catalyst, I think. I don't I don't know that it really ever got uh, quite as much recognition as it should have at the time, and uh, I do I do think that when you account for how good a song is versus how catchy it is and how radio friendly it is, like it's really hard to to judge all three together in a song. But of if you're considering all of those things and you listen to Lincoln Park, like I think it's their best overall song in that sense, um, just because it's creative it's cool it's catchy radio friendly but it's still very very unique um from i think anything they they had done prior sort of started moving them in a different direction not necessarily sure i love where that direction ended up but overall i think it's a great song so the catalyst is my underrated fair enough uh my underrated is uh, lying from you <sighs> Great song. Off of uh, the uh, 2003 album Metoria. Great song. Meteora? Meteoria? That's not how you say it at all, but that's... I've always said it Meteoria? It's it's Meteora, but I think you got it right the first time. Yeah, big fan. We're we're not not including Jay-Z songs on the uh, Linkin Park... uh, (laughs) uh, Right? Because that that version of Dust Off Your Shoulders with Lying From You in the background is... uh, Real good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you can count it. It's just, wow. you know, like, I don't... Right. I don't really... No, yeah, that, that was a great album. Well, they, they, they made a great call on Good that call. one. Um, my, my favorite Linkin Park song is Waiting for the End. Um softer song but i think it's it's really good i don't get really i don't get tired of it it's just uh they're really good with their softer songs i will say that because they don't do they didn't do a ton of them for a while um around 2007 they started doing a few more of them but they a lot of bands can't pull off that transition into like a slower ballad sort of thing and Linkin Park was not one of those bands they pulled it the fuck off like most of their slow songs are unreal so, um, yeah, I, 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 Waiting for the End's my favorite. Cool. Uh, if point, you consider it a slow song, I guess it's kind of like a, It's you know, in the middle-ish, yeah. but, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's more slow than, than, than fast. Yeah. So. More tingly than it is hot. Uh, Points of Authority is my favorite Lincoln yeah, song. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, also from the first album, um, and, uh, also probably could have been in the running for my underrated, but because it's my favorite, I, I, I put it here instead. That's so. fair. Uh, yeah, very... Very, 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 very catchy chorus for me. Uh, but even beyond that, like that—that that is, you know, listening to that album, you're about halfway through when Points of Authority comes on, and then you know it kind of dawns on you, like, like holy fuck, these these guys are really like this is special. Like, you know, you you every every once in a while you you have a band that comes out, they have a big single, you got your one hit wonders, and then I, I think this was the point in the album where you realize that that, that wasn't going to be Lincoln Park. Um, the the work by Chester and uh, I can't remember the fucking backup singer's name there, but uh, the like rapping the, guy. Oh, Mike Shinoda. Mike Shinoda. Yeah, that's um, they they worked so well on the big hits um, and just hooked people in with with the rap genre kind of coming to you know the rap rock kind of thing that was coming around and uh, this this is this is one where I, I think both of them like neither of them really like shown higher than the other yeah but though they share that song yeah. for sure there are songs uh there are songs where i'll think to myself after i heard it like was mike shinoda even in that song and then not realize that he does two of the verses because chester's so good on the chorus yeah and vice versa like there are songs where i've listened yeah. to and i'm like wait chester has a verse in this song because you think and of it as a shinoda song right? and but, there are songs we listen to it and you go Wow, you guys are really forcing sure the combination know, kind of into thing. that to make it balance. There, and and so I think you, that was more of an issue later on. Yeah, more or less. I don't like early the early, but you're right. Points of authority earlier. And then points it, of yeah, authority is yeah. is a perfect shared song. Like mm-hmm. they share it, and that I guess I'm not sure it's been an issue, but there have been a lot of bands that have two lead voices where it's just kind of like sometimes you don't even notice the other person in the song because the one guy kind of shines more. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I guess Blink One Eighty Two is an example of that in, in some cases, but uh, yeah, for the most part they they work together quite well. So I get it. Uh, my least favorite, is, I'm not gonna lie, I, it very very broad in this one. Uh, just pretty much anything off the last three albums. There, I just didn't I didn't like it at all. Uh, Burn it down. I, I guess if I have to pick one, I, I hated that song. So what, what are the last three albums technically? Um... Oh, I, I don't have it in front of me. I didn't even bother to learn their names because that's how party, little I like them. Living things. That's that's definitely but two of them. Was there one after Hunting Party? Um, I thought there was. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know. 
Like just the the, the, la- the last three uh, living things, the hunting party, and one more light. Are one the more light. Albums okay. that I, 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 I couldn't remember if that was. Yeah, I yeah. don't like. Okay. Yeah. I, so I like the first four, pretty much universally every every song, mm-hmm. and it was like overnight. It's like I don't like this band anymore, and it could have been a personal taste thing at the time. Sure, but I've gone back and revisited it, and I can't get into any of it, and that's fine. Like that's it's it's. I will say this about Lincoln Park: they were never a band for me to begin with. You know what I mean? Like I I never really they're just they're not my style of a band that I really love. But I do, I do enjoy like pretty much every song off off the first four albums, mm. you know. Okay, yeah. um, I'm I'm almost kind of I won't say opposite. Like the first two albums are unbelievable. Um, Minutes to midnight, I can I can take or leave. It, it's fine. But then, uh, Thousand Suns and Living Things, I do not like at all. Uh, the hunting party got me back into them, but then they kind of let me down with one more light, and obviously we're not going to get anything more from them that we can, you know, we assume we're not going to get anything more in terms of like a, a new album. We might get some old stuff that that gets resurfaced with uh, with uh, Chester's uh, recordings prior to his to his yeah. death. But um, yeah, they were definitely a very phasey band in the sense that they kind of really came and went throughout their career for me. Like there was times where that could be my favorite band at one point, and then all of a sudden, like I, I can't yeah. listen to these guys. And but roller coaster. Uh, There's a lot sure. going on, that's yeah. for sure, and it, it's yeah. My least favorite is what I've done um, by uh, by Lincoln Park. Uh, I almost put it as my overrated, but I I, I realized I think okay. it's probably properly rated. But yeah, uh, off off minutes to midnight. Um, yeah, just a song that has been drowned out over and over, and. Uh, kind of came to define that the band's like middle era after the the rap rock crap this was that always that song that you heard when everyone oh Linkin Park you know it got used in too many movie trailers and shit like that I'll say that like it was just like everywhere like it was on the fucking Transformer movies and I feel like it was like a you know one of those fucking Gerard Butler thrillers or something like you know what I mean it was just like everywhere and uh, like our guitar hero and shit yeah, like that wasn't wasn't a good song to do that with. Either. No, it's, like it's it's fine, but it, it's like not. that was the problem with it, right? Is it was just one of those like, um, you know, like everyone can get behind this type of song. You know what I mean? Like just a top forty ish kind of fucking. If we just rehash this song enough, people will like it eventually, yeah. right? You know, yeah. like yeah. that uh, best day of my life. Fucking, it's the best day of my. It's like yeah, if you shove that down our throats for five years, I'm sure we'll love it. And it's the worst song I've ever heard. So. I don't know what song that is. Yeah, well, you would. Okay. I didn't do a great impression okay. of it, maybe. Oh, that's but, fine. Yeah. Uh, join us next week when we uh, have the uh, sing-along episode. Ooh, I will, be, I will be sons. Best day of my life. Yeah, uh, what I've uh, done. Yeah, what I've done. You want to be Chester or uh, I, Mike guy? I will be sons on oh, that uh, episode, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. I'll bring my guitar. Yeah, the good news is we're not actually doing that, folks. We, are, uh, we will be back. Uh, with a nor- with a regular uh, episode of some kind next week, uh, we might wow. even have a guest. Kind of fell through last minute tonight, but um, so yeah, we, we we should have some fun for you next week. Not really sure what to expect when it's going to be. I will say that um, it, it could be later than a week from now. It could be less than a week from now. It's going to be hard to say. 
Um, just kind of depends what happens, but we will be back. It's not for a lack of, you know, the podcast. It's not because podcasts falling apart here. It's, uh, I'm, I'm very tired every night. So it's, uh, yeah, we'll figure out a time. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll put the sing along as one of the options for the hundredth episode on the, uh, yep. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine the hundredth episode is the second episode where it's just you. Like it's just, Just we'll just bring that back. Yeah. Four options, eh? James solo episode, karaoke episode. Oh, yeah. Fucking. What are the other two things that we could do episode. our worst? Okay. Uh, and then like maybe uh, like a another bracket. Well, I was gonna say like a movie commentary of some sort, but oh well, that might be fun. Yeah, we still gotta do Mystery Alaska, so don't worry. That community episode's coming at you real soon too, for sure. So yeah, right, right next to the Sadie interview on biscuits. I'm yeah, sure. we'll get you. We'll get we'll get that going. All right. All right. See ya. You can fuck off and all! You don't know what I've been through. I've been downgraded! Thank you.